Welcome, Bird Gang. On today's show, Paul Calvisi joins me. First, we look back at Sunday's preseason game. No, it wasn't as clean or well executed as the opener, yet a number of players did flash. Then we'll look ahead to the joint practices with the Tennessee Titans this week. To me, the most important work of this month-plus-long stretch ahead of the regular season. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 583, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Hit in the backfield and down he goes for a loss. J.J. Watt nailed him. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, at the 5, he's in again! Some more Murray Magic! Wow! Here's Craig Grealoux. So, Paul, before we get into the nuts and bolts, uh, Sunday's preseason loss to the Baltimore Ravens, and yes, Cardinals lost 24-17. But what people want to know, from your perspective on the sideline, you were up close, you could touch the alternate black helmets. How did they look to you, Paul? I thought that was going to be an Aaron Andrews question or something <laughs> like that. No, uh, the let me tell you. They looked really good with the combination of the new video board. I actually found myself watching the video board and what the helmets looked like via all those 3.3 million pixels versus what they were right in front of me because I wanted to see how the lights hit the red flex and what was the gradient screening or whatever other aspect of the logo that they described that's way beyond my IQ level as to how exactly they engineered the brand new helmet. There's a lot more to it than you realize, so I just wanted, okay, is that thing going to pop on the new video board? Visually, it was appealing not only there in person, but also going back early on Monday and watching some of the game replay. So yeah, I do think not only do the fans like it, more importantly, the players like it. What do we always hear? Feel good, look good, play good. All right, here it is. It features iridescent chrome decals with a gradient screen of the team's Cardinal Head logo. Get it right, Calvi. See, my goodness. So there you go. That's the exact uh, specifics on the brand-new helmet. And and I want to see those things with a white jersey. Am I the only one? I'm not sure the black helmet with the black jersey with the white lettering. I want to see the black helmet with either the red jersey or the white jersey. I want to see the contrast. It's too much black above the belt. It's, it is a little too much Atlanta Falcons. I want to see the black helmet with one of the other jerseys. We'll see it two more times, the alternate black helmet, but with what we saw on Sunday as far as the black tops and white lettering and then black tops and that red lettering, the color rush, we'll see that as well. So we might need to do some politicking if we want to get the black helmets and the white tops Black right. pants? I mean, are we going to go white, white, black helmets? I will say the the black jerseys with the white lettering, the white numerals, man, those pop as well. That's a play-by-play guy's dream. No excuses for Dave Pash missing a number during that game because the white numerals with the black jerseys, that just that is just right there in your face. Because at the end of the day, it's all about the play-by-play guys <laughs> to make right. sure that they yes. can bring you all the information right. during the course of those four quarters. And let's get into what we saw. It was... A little sloppy, all right, a lot sloppy for the Cardinals compared to what we saw against the Cincinnati Bengals the week prior. But when that game got close, 24-17 with just under seven minutes to play, 
What was the feeling on the sideline? Because there was some discussion during the week, kind of pushed to the side about, oh, yeah, it'd be nice to break that 21-game preseason winning streak of the Ravens. But players after the ball game did admit, yeah, it was in the back of their mind, and it would have been something to not not a big deal, but certainly a feather in their cap. I was a little surprised. Honestly, the, the intensity was palpable down there. The end of the first half, when they couldn't connect on the touchdown pass, Victor Bolden, and off its hand, his hands it goes, right? And, I mean, Trace McSorley came to the sideline. He was hot. Uh, he was really cheesed off. And maybe that's what contributed to some of his inaccuracy. Cliff Kingsbury said, yeah, maybe he's trying a little too hard against his former team. But there were enough guys down there that either, A, had played with or against the Ravens in the past and had that winning streak in mind. And Greg Dorch afterwards, he said it repeatedly in our interview, both on and off mic, just, man, I wanted to win that game. You don't see that sort of intensity when it comes to a preseason game. So it was out there, uh, and maybe because of that, maybe some guys were trying a little too hard between the combination of the longest preseason win streak in modern NFL history and trying to make the final 53. Some guys, I think, were pressing a little bit. It's become a thing now to where it's a storyline, whomever the Ravens play next week, next year, if the winning streak continues. But it is something, when you get in the moment, you start. I found myself there in that fourth quarter. It's like, oh, you know, you, you enter the fourth quarter down twenty-four to three. Okay, it's twenty-two, and then one touchdown, and then the interception, and then another touchdown, and you force a three and out. You've got the ball with just over or just under four minutes to go. You know, you're not playing for a tie. You're either going to score and go for two and win, or score, go for two and lose because you don't convert. I found myself, I wouldn't say on the edge of my seat, but a little more interested of a fourth quarter game number two of the preseason. Yeah, there's no doubt. And and look, that first half, Cliff Kingsbury described as, quote, pretty clean. Now, there was the interception. There were missed tackles in the first half. A lot of them. Second half got definitely uh, more sloppy. There, there's, there's no doubt about that. And and I think there's a couple of things you come away with. You're, you're a little bit concerned. As far as the Ravens team, not just the win streak, I think the coaches like the fact that it's an ultra-physical team. The Ravens historically are a top-five team in terms of physicality, coming straight at you, just the smash-mouth sort of football that I think gives you a pretty good gauge on certain players and their evaluation and a good gauge as to whether you're ready to handle the physicality of the regular season. So in terms of preseason opponents, the Ravens, I think, are a pretty good team to play. Now, the Cardinals might have paid the price with a few injuries here and there, Jonathan Ward in particular. But I think you come out of that and you realize, you know what, our tackling in particular is not where we thought it might have been based on Cardinals camp. And I'm not sure what you do about that. I'm not sure if you can go full tackling to the ground in these two joint practices against the Titans coming up, especially based on what Cliff Kingsbury told us at the end of the interview and how he's going to place a call to Mike Vrabel and, and just try and maybe set some ground rules as to what's coming in these joint practices. But there's no doubt Cardinals need some work when it comes to tackling, especially the two backup safeties, James Wiggins and Deontay Thompson. And, and Wiggins had issues at Cincinnati with tackling as well. So you might have the best starting pair of safeties in the NFL, but what does your depth look like behind Buda Baker and Jalen Thompson? Is that a concern if you're Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury? There was one particular play in the first half. Thompson tried to rip the ball out as opposed yeah. to bringing the ball right. carrier down, and it costs the Cardinals another five, seven yards. And it's a great discussion point because I see both sides when it comes to tackling. Kyle Vandenbosch and I discussed it on Cardinal Talk as far as, all right, most teams – 
are like the Cardinals. You do not practice tackling to the ground in training camp. And I get why. You want to make sure you're healthy week one. Yet on the flip side, how do you get better at something if you don't practice it to where we have something like Sunday night where there are a number of missed tackles and you go into the regular season and you're not ready defensively? If you're Deontay Thompson, I think the lesson learned is there, okay, yes, the ball is the most valuable thing in the game and you're trying to rip the ball out. I get it. But you only do that if you have two or three other tacklers around you. you you got to make sure the cavalry is right there before you're trying to rip the ball out. If you're in space and there's a ball carrier and he's got two hands on the football and you're the only tackler, bring him down before you rip the ball out. So I think that's the lesson learned there. What's intriguing about what you just said to me, Gree, is the fact that the Kansas City Chiefs have been playing the regulars. Did you see, uh, did you see Patrick Mahomes attempt 19 passes in that game against Washington 19 over the weekend he went 12 of 19 passing for a buck 62 and he led two touchdown drives he had two touchdown passes Patrick Mahomes he just didn't play a, a three and out and throw a couple of bubble screens and go for the sunflower seeds and a ball cap on the sideline he played he played significant snaps so it really sets up this week one contrast now we know what happened to the Cardinals last year Everybody now, Kyler Murray in the preseason a year ago went one of four passing for two yards, and we all lost our mind. There was a lot of noise out there. And then what do you do against Tennessee on the road against the team that would eventually secure the number one seed in the AFC? He threw four touchdown passes. He had a passer rating of 121. Okay, so that should assuage everyone's fears, right? I say that dot, 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 because you have a Kansas City team. Andy Reid's been playing his Pro Bowl caliber players throughout that roster for the entirety of these first two preseason games. So what does that mean when we get to September 11th and the opener Chiefs-Cardinals at State Farm Stadium? You know exactly what the narrative is going to be because you don't play your starters in the preseason. You come out like the Cardinals did a year ago, 7-0, 10-2. You know what? Preseason doesn't matter. I like the philosophy. Keep it going. This season, you don't play the starters in the preseason, and if they come out of the gate slow – and you look at the schedule, that is a very real possibility. Everyone is going to be clamoring, why didn't the starters get more work in the preseason, whether in the preseason games, the joint practices, and if the missed tackling becomes more of an issue, what does this coaching staff do to mitigate that in the future? Here it is. Patrick Mahomes led a 12-play, 87-yard drive, capped by a five-yard touchdown pass, and then went back out there and led another 12-play, 82-yard drive that took over five minutes, capped by a seven-yard touchdown to the same player. Jody Fortson was on the business end of those Patrick Mahomes touchdown tosses. So, And in the opener against Chicago, he went 6-7 to seven passing for 60 yards, and he had a touchdown pass as, as well. So you know what? You can stamp Patrick Mahomes regular season ready. Period. We just don't know as for Kyla Murray and the rest of the Cardinals. I, you see Rodney Hudson, for example, sitting on the bench in sweats. Okay. Um, we haven't seen Rodney Hudson the entirety of Cardinals camp. Have we? Two practices? Two practices. Two practices. Marcus Golden was down there, obviously conspicuous by his presence because we haven't seen him at Cards Camp in a while. Hasn't practiced since August 1st if you're scoring at home. What exactly does that mean? Are you going to see him in Tennessee? But once again, the track record of a year ago, a 7-0 start, a 10-2 start, and arguably the best offense in the NFL over the first half of last season seems to indicate that, you know what, Cliff Kingsbury knows what he's doing. The right answer is predicated on what happens week one 
in September. And then we can go back, oh, yeah, it was the right decision. Hindsight, what do they say? 2020. Everyone is better when you look back as opposed to saying, let's look forward and try to make sure we're ready for that game. And I'll throw this in there as well. I can't tell you how many veterans on this team, when I've asked them about the approach to camp, they have cited the end of last season and that if the Cardinals were healthy in December and January, it would have been a much different outcome. That the reason, one of the main reasons you saw the Rams and Bengals in Super Bowl 56 is because those teams were primarily healthy by the time the playoffs hit. So with that in mind, what sort of toll, for example, hard knocks is great, okay, and the Lions are tackling to the ground, and there are receivers getting destroyed over the middle, like circa the 1970s and 80s. Uh, that's kind of training camp I used to go to when I was a 19-year-old intern in Rockland for the 49ers. That's the kind of camp that the Niners used to run, and they didn't necessarily run a really stringent camp back in the day. So those that's a throwback thing Dan Campbell is doing. But what is that going to mean in November and December for the Detroit Lions? Because the last guy to run a really military-type camp was Mike Singletary years ago with the 49ers, and they had a good start to the season, and the bottom fell out, and they had injuries, and guys were worn out, and they were taxed. And later it came out that most of the players attributed that to the ridiculous training camp he ran in August. Again, we just don't know the answer to that question. Right. But I, It's an unknown. I like how this has set up for the Cardinals, because when you have a veteran-laden team, especially on the offense, I would much rather them be healthy in September and hopefully December and January as opposed to seeing them on the field right now. I'm okay, and I'm on record saying I have no issues with how this coaching staff has approached training camp. Now I'm curious on how they approach the joint practices coming up with the Titans, and I'll reference you brought it up, the postgame conversation you had with head coach Cliff Kingsbury, and Cliff mentioned, yeah, I need to call Mike Vrabel on Monday and figure out, all right, one, Who's healthy? How many bodies do we have? And how do we avoid, more importantly, all the fighting that we have seen across the league? And most of that comes not in the individuals, but when you're lining up 11 on 11 and you're trying to do some things, but they're in the competitive nature of the game and the competitive nature of players, they don't want to get beat. Do you see how the Titans and Bucks, the last joint practice, how it ended? With a mini brawl, that's the way it was described, as Jeffrey Simmons, the Pro Bowl D lineman for the Titans, and a bad dude, uh, he had another heavyweight opponent in Leonard Fournette, and I do mean heavyweight based on how he reported to camp. Those Those two came to blows. They were exchanging punches at the end, and they just called it at the very end. So there were multiple fights throughout Titans, Bucks, and I think that's probably what Cliff Kingsbury has in mind. In fact, if you're telling me the reason that Tom Brady has been AWOL and absent, that he didn't want to participate in those joint practices. He already wasn't going to play in the preseason games, and he didn't want to be a part of those joint practices. I believe you. To me, that's the best working, plausible theory as to why TB12 wasn't out there. So, yeah, look, I don't know what it's going to be like in Tennessee. We'll be there, and we'll find out firsthand. I will say this, if Jeffrey Simmons still has that edge to him, and there are some drills against, oh, I don't know, Big Mo, Marquise Hayes, or Will Hernandez, there will be blood. There will be a fight between two of the Cardinals guards and a Jeffrey Simmons if he's coming in with that sort of attitude. I think what you're more likely to see is the one-on-one 
cornerbacks versus wide receivers, edge rushers versus running backs, the pass protection, O-line, D-line, which is always fun. Maybe some seven-on-seven, but you're not going to have any goal-line situations. You're not going to have maybe any two-minute situations with another team. Now, from what I understand, yeah, joint practices on Wednesday and Thursday, but there's also going to be some separation as well during the course of those two days in which the teams will be on opposite ends or on different fields and then come together for certain situations. I asked Devon Kennard in our post-game interview on the Cardinals radio network after the Baltimore preseason game. I just said, all right, joint practices. You've been there and done that. What do you tell some of the younger guys? He said, go hard. You don't know exactly how hard the other guy's going to go. You don't want to look bad. You better make sure you err on the side of 110%. So you better bring it. So we'll see if that indeed is the attitude. And you know what? Uh, Devon Kennard showed well, obviously, against Baltimore. Um, he had the numbers uh, to prove it. He ended up with a three tackles at half sack. He had a tackle for loss, a QB hit. I, I think he's regular season ready. Dennis Gardeck, you know you're talking with Kyle Vandenbosch. He's the expert on edge rushers. And that would seem to verify what we have seen throughout the month of August, that, that Gardeck has looked explosive. He looks like the 2020 Gardeck as opposed to the 2021 Gardeck. But the third-round rookies, my Jay Sanders, Cameron Thomas, and then Jesse Lucchetta, who showed well at the beginning of camp, they've been a little quiet in these preseason games. There's no doubt about it. So I think the coaches are going to be looking at those rookie edge guys and seeing, all right, what exactly do we have in them? Are they going to have a role? We thought maybe, okay, situational pass rushing role for a my Jay Sanders going into camp. Maybe not. Maybe they do have to show a little bit more against veteran offensive linemen to gain the trust of Vance Joseph. Sanders, to me, has always appeared to be a little bit ahead of Cameron Thomas, and it's just one thing where he can stand up on the outside and just go straight ahead. Go after that quarterback, get into the backfield, and wreck havoc. And Cameron Thomas is, I think, still trying to find his way, considering how much he was in a three-point stance and then being asked to drop into coverage, which he's not used to. He might be swimming a little bit, and it might be a little while before we see any of those edge rushers that were drafted make a significant impact. I think it was the second last season at San Diego State. He played a lot of nose tackle, Cameron Thomas. Think about that. And there was a play, and Devon Kennard confirmed this for us on the air, where Cameron Thomas was a good 20, 25 yards downfield in the seam checking a tight end. So it's a radical position change in a lot of ways for a Cameron Thomas from just two years ago. Now, my Jay Sanders will tell you he has the speed, Cameron Thomas, to, to make that work. But I asked Devon Kennard, what are you always talking to Cameron Thomas about? And he said, it's his positioning. It's if you're in the right place at the right time. You're, you already have won half the battle. You don't have to be the fastest guy in the field. You just got to be in the right spot. So it's those instincts. It's that experience. And it might be more of a learning curve for a Cameron Thomas than perhaps initially anticipated. So for that reason, assuming Marcus Golden is going to be back, I think your primary rotation going into the Kansas City game is going to be 45 Dennis Gardeck. It's going to be Devon Kennard and Marcus Golden and a little bit of those younger guys worked in here and there. And then, of course, Victor Mukeji, who showed again with a tackle for loss and doing a lot of intel on the sidelines after the Cincinnati game. Craig, I can tell you, it's legit. I was told by multiple people the entire game film against Cincinnati was legit. He just didn't flash on a couple of pass rush reps that he's very stout against a run like a, like a Devon Kennard or a Marcus Golden. And then he has changed his get-off and explosion. He has really improved from year one to year two. So there's no doubt in my mind that I think the four edge guys right now 
would be a Marcus Golden, Devon Kennard, Dennis Gardeck, and Victor Demukeji. And I think that's your rotation week one. You bring up being in the right position, and it leads us to a conversation about Zayvon Collins. On the field for 16 snaps on Sunday, a tackle, tackle for loss. Thought he flashed a little bit more than we had seen against the Cincinnati Bengals. But once again, and I know Ron Wolfley pointed it out on the broadcast, and it's easy to see, but being able to shed blocks, to engage an offensive lineman or a running back, and then disengage and get to the ball carrier, he is still having difficulty with that. Yes, it's year two, but when you are a first-round draft pick, there are expectations that you have to meet, and people are waiting for Zayvon Collins to be that inside linebacker worthy of a first-round draft pick. And we talked about that in the pregame radio show, and I brought that up with Wolf that a couple people had told me that it was shedding blocks that was the primary objective right now for Zayvon Collins, that too often he's taken on these these blockers with his shoulder and then he's not able to get disengaged from the block. That That's a win for the offensive lineman. If they're getting into your body, you have to be able to stand that guy up and shed him one way or the other and, and get to the ball carrier. And that's just not happening with enough frequency with Zayvon Collins. So we'll see what these joint practices are all about. Uh, there's no doubt that is a point of emphasis in his schooling right now. I'll also say that when an inside linebacker is instinctive, you see it. We saw Chandler Wooten. You saw him shoot the gap immediately for a tackle for loss on a key third down. He was into that backfield. He read his keys. He went in untouched. He found a crease, and he got to the ball carrier for a loss. So it's those sort of things where, you know, you don't have to overthink it. You can see it with your own eyes. Is that inside linebacker once again in the right spot at the right time? And so is it a case of Zayman Collins overthinking it at times and, and things are moving a little fast for him? But it's those eyes and be able to read and react. And uh, Chandler Wooten, not only the interception, I, I thought he was excellent against the run. He, he really he shot the gap a couple of times and, and you realize, okay, this guy has played this position before in the SEC. In space, I like what I've seen from Zayvon Collins. Covering the running back, there was a great coverage on the tight end screen, which was the tackle for loss. It's when things get crowded, Zayvon Collins gets lost and is unable to – you're in an escape room, and he can't escape. He gets just bottled up, and all of a sudden the ball is behind him. He needs to be able to do a better job of shedding those blockers and making a tackle because he is not afraid – to light someone up it's just getting to that point to where he has that opportunity to make the tackle you know I think initially we were thinking all right maybe he's a first and second down inside linebacker and comes off the field in a passing situation um you know just in in your for that reason maybe he's not wearing the green dot because he needs someone who's on the field all the time like a Jalen Thompson now it's almost the inverse to your point it's a really good point in camp he has looked excellent in coverage downfield he has the wheels uh, he, he has that ability to cover tight ends in, in running backs out of the backfield in space, which was something that was a liability for Jordan Hicks, for example, the last couple of years. One of the reasons I think they went after Zayvon Collins because teams would target Jordan Hicks with the running back in the tight end, and that would be the first read on a third and long. And, and, and more often than not, they were successful. Zayvon Collins has the coverage thing down. It, the problem are the rushing downs, first and second down, and a lot of the play action, and he's hesitating 
and not quite deciphering what he's seen, and then once again, not shedding those blockers, and you saw some chunk runs. Two weeks in a row, you saw chunk runs going right at number 25. The spotlight certainly on Zayvon Collins. It will be again this week. Cardinals at the Titans on Saturday, 4 p.m. is the kickoff. Pre-game coverage begins at 12.30 on the Arizona Cardinals radio network. We also talk about the spotlight with respects to draft status how about your boy, Andy Isabel? Second round draft pick, entering the final year of his contract. And I'll say this, he has certainly done more than just flash in the preseason. Five catches week one, four catches week two. And he has put himself in position, whether it is with the Cardinals or someone else. He is going to be in the National Football League, and I'll give him credit because he has worked his tail off to get into this position, yet it's a position that just might not have any room for him with the Cardinals. See, we're on the same wavelength again here, Gray. We're regular season ready. I can say that here on Cover 2. The two of us, we got that chemistry going right now. We're ready for this week one game against Kansas City because I said the same thing to our Jim Omohundro after a couple of those first down catches by Andy Isabella on national TV. He's made a 53. It might not be the Cardinals. I think he's made a 53, just like there are five running backs on this roster who will be on a week one roster. Not all with the Cardinals. We'll get to running back in a minute. But as for Andy Isabella, the five grabs for 54 yards, the 37-yard PI, we've seen that repeatedly, the spot foul where he's getting behind a secondary and a corner is desperate and makes contact, and then boom, out comes the flag. That's a valuable thing, obviously. But then his comments afterwards, and you mentioned that, for him to say, look the media in the eye and say about his situation, hey, they stack the odds against me, but that doesn't phase me. They can do whatever they want. They ain't going to break me, quote, unquote, and Andy Isabella. And to say, you know, to have the awareness to say, you know what, I've grown a lot and I've really matured and it might be too late here, but I know in the future, dot, 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 that the lessons he's learned will serve him well. Really interesting. And for him to express that sort of confidence in his game, because that was always part of the problem. He had a couple of flash games his rookie year, his second year, and we brought him into the Big Red Rage. And he said, you know, I just, he said, that helps my confidence a lot because there were times where I struggle with that. Do I belong in the NFL? Am I really a second round pick? And, and, and I think, you know, he was a guy who lost his confidence at times. Well, he's not that guy right now. You've seen his play really take that next step. He's even catching the ball better. Catching, He's not fighting the ball nearly as much, catching with his hands. And for him to make some of those contested catches like he did against Baltimore, that definitely represents a next step in his game. And you can tell on third and long that this offense, specifically Trace McSorley, is looking for number 17. On Sunday it was third and nine. Third and ten, you're looking for Andy Isabella to make a big-time catch, contested catch, or nothing else, draw that defensive pass interference, which he's done now repeatedly here in the preseason. So I like where Andy Isabella's game is at, but to the conversation, is it here with the Cardinals? And I'll say this, for right now, I do believe he has a spot on this 53-man roster because you don't have DeAndre Hopkins those first six games. That's true. You're right. See, I always find myself saying, all right, D-Hop, Hollywood Brown, A.J. Green, and Rondale Moore. There's four, and then Antoine Wesley would be five. We don't know what the deal is with the groin slash hip injury. I don't think it's bad enough he could end up on pup. I mean, there's another scenario where Andy Isabella makes this team out of camp. Put it this way, Antoine Wesley, as quote-unquote hurt as we keep being told, 
he's out at practice, not running around, but he's involved watching drills, tossing the football around. Maybe they're just being overly cautious because right now they want to avoid surgery. Not ruled out, but want to avoid surgery. But to your point, yeah, he becomes number five. Greg Dortch, because of his ability on special teams, becomes number six. And Isabella is on the outside looking in. But you subtract D-Hop, now all of a sudden Isabella squeezes into those top six if you keep six wide receivers. All right, I'm buying that. I'm actually buying that. You're right. I, I failed to account for DeAndre Hopkins, and I would agree with you. He is ahead of a, a Victor Bolden. Victor Bolden you can cut and most likely get to your practice squad, I would think, unless he has some sort of breakout game at Tennessee or in those joint practices. So I would agree. You're, I, I, you know what? You're right. I think Andy Isabella, uh, number 17, yeah, he's probably going to end up on this. And then you'll see. You'll see if he can make a regular season impact over the first six games and then make your decision upon the return of D-Hop at the time. So bottom line is, Paul, there is still hope for iAndy. <laughs> That's right. And the marketing you know slogan that yeah. still has not been That's put right. to bed. Because once again, you know, he was robbed of the eye candy role a year ago because that was Rondell Moore. Well, now Rondell Moore, we're told, is going to be more of a downfield guy. He has the route tree. He's going to be able to get that separation downfield. He wants that sort of role. He wants the targets beyond just the backfield or the horizontal line of scrimmage game. So who's going to be that guy? Well, obviously, I, Andy, Isabella slides in nicely. Well done. By the way, before we cut you loose, I know you got to pack and get ready for the big trip to <laughs> Tennessee right. and basically yeah. fast for the next 48, 72 hours before Ron Wolfley gets a hold of you for some barbecue coming up later on this week. You brought up the running back position as far as five legit starters or players that deserve a spot on an NFL roster. I just don't think five is feasible to be kept here with the Cardinals. No. No one really stood out Sunday against the Baltimore Ravens. In fact, the biggest news was the fact that Jonathan Ward hurt his shoulder, not considered serious. But you look at the snap counts, Darrell Williams did dress out, but was only on the field for four snaps, got one carry. Do we read anything into that? He did not play in the preseason opener. You know, Benjamin played sparingly. It's fascinating because I don't know which way this team is going to go. I can argue for any number of scenarios. Yeah, and, and the scenarios seem to change on a daily basis, almost like you need a real-time update desk on the running back room, right? And so let's reverse engineer this. I agree with you, only four are going to be kept. If you're keeping three quarterbacks and you're maybe keeping four tight ends – now, Max Williams, is he going on pop? What exactly is the deal there? He's been out for full contact, full pad practices, 11 on 11, so he's exceeded our expectations. But if it's Zach Ertz, Trey McBride, Max Williams, are you really cutting Steven Anderson? I don't think so, especially since he kind of fills that fullback, H-back role. So for that reason, you're certainly not keeping five running backs. So it's James Conner as an automatic Jonathan Ward has solidified and cemented his spot after this Baltimore game, presuming he's, he's healthy. You saw the kickoff return. You saw the catch and 26-yard run. He's dynamic out of the backfield. And I don't think they're cutting Keontae Ingram. I just don't. He's good enough on special teams. He made a heck of a tackle on that interception to run down the DB after Trace McSorley with badly trying to tackle the, uh, the defensive back after he threw the second pick. And so I think Keontae Ingram's on this on this team. They like his size. They like the athleticism. They like the upside on special teams. So right now, in my world, I think it's Daryl Williams against Eno Benjamin. I think that's the competition because neither one of those guys 
is an absolute on special teams. No, neither one of those guys, I should say, is indispensable on special teams like a Jonathan Ward is, and I think Keontae Ingram will be. So for everything we've heard about Eno Benjamin, for everything we thought about Daryl Williams, because you know, Cliff Kingsbury has referred to the two guys who are proven, the two guys with experience, meaning James Conner and Daryl Williams, who have the big game production and track record, and the fact neither one played against Cincinnati seemed to indicate, okay, those two guys are being kept healthy and ready for the regular season. I'm not so sure Daryl Williams wasn't a guy who was going to sit out the Baltimore game and at the last minute sort of head on a swivel, looked around, put his finger to the wind and said, maybe I do need to dress and get out here and play ball and show up. It's fascinating because at one point it was James Conner, Daryl Williams, one, two, with Eno Benjamin, your top three, no questions asked. And then all of a sudden, as the days go by and the weeks go by, and now all of a sudden we're starting to rethink things and then figuring out factor in special teams. Jeff Rogers, his voice in that room, who does he trust? Who does he want? How much does Eno Benjamin play in special teams? What's his impact? Is Daryl Williams an impact on special teams? We know what he's capable of doing with the ball in his hand, running and receiving. And in the financial aspect of this, you signed Daryl Williams to a one-year, little less than $2 million contract with less than 900000 guaranteed. Now all of a sudden it becomes what the coaching staff likes, what the front office likes as far as the budget is concerned. That's good because I can't tell you, I had a number of people ask me yesterday, what is the contract situation on Daryl Williams? How much guaranteed money does he have? And my response was, I wasn't honestly sure, and I failed to, to look that up. So that's good information because if you remember, he told the media that Kansas City did not even make him an offer, and he didn't sign until later in the offseason. So you can't figure he had much leverage, and he has less than a million guaranteed. Is it feasible the Cardinals eat that? and they put him on the street come August 30th, yeah, I think it's a little more likely considering that it's less than seven figures that they'd be on the hook for. It's, maybe. maybe. I, you don't know. Once again, I can go all the way back. If you really want it, we can run every scenario here, and I'll, I'll end with this one. I'll go all the way back to the beginning of the offseason when it was conspicuous by its presence, all the plaudits and props for Eno <laughs> Benjamin that he was 100% all of a sudden out of the coach's doghouse. And all of a sudden, you're like, wow, he's getting a lot of compliments to the point where, hmm, is there a method to the madness, a rhyme to the reason right here? And could there have been, in Wall Street terms, a pump and dump attempt to try and elevate his value and get someone to bite on a trade? If you're out there and you're trying to find a corner, for example, in a trade, is Eno Benjamin the first name that is offered up by Steve Kime. The only pushback I'll give on that, because that's something that you've brought up repeatedly, is what we've heard publicly about Eno Benjamin doesn't just come from the head coach, Justin Pugh. Calvin Benjamin have yep. brought it up. Plus, yep. the head coach privately has praised he has. Eno Benjamin. Yes, he has. So there is yeah. that as right. well as we try to peel the curtain slowly back here on Cardinals yeah. Cover 2. So, again... This doesn't need to be done now, but we are getting closer to when those final roster cuts are being made. Yeah. Uh, by the way, if, I, if I'm Eno Benjamin and those guys, I'm over there and I'm, I'm begging Kyler Murray to call my number. I, I need some more reps. I need to get on film a little bit more. You know, in fact, that's my, if, if Kyler speaks this week, that's going to ask him. Is anybody over there pestering you? Is anyone complaining and griping about their reps and their touches and their targets right now? 
knowing that it's better to flash, whether it's for the Cardinals or someone else, to get on another team's radar. So, yeah, it's fascinating. It's going to be something to pay attention to this week, specifically in Tennessee. Again, all the content on azcardinals.com. Cardinals Underground will originate live from Tennessee. Big Red Rage live from Tennessee as well. So, uh, Paul, you got some packing to do. And, uh, again, um, bib, no bib, I don't know, but uh, make sure you undo that belt one notch. No family platter for Wolf. That's going to be the difference this year. The last time we went there for joint practices, Wolf really was putting the full into former fullback. And uh, Adrian, he had the misfortune of Adrian Wilson walking in, and Wolf was leaving the, uh, the the counter with your tray. That's the way it is. It's sort of you place your order, they give you your food, and it literally looked like the family platter that Wolf was sitting down to gorge himself on, and he heard it from uh, Adrian Wilson. So it's a little more svelte, uh, Ron Wolfley, these days. So hopefully it won't be such a spectacle when we go into the barbecue joint. That's a visual I'm not going to be able to get out of my head, Paul. <laughs> and on that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai Proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro. Happy birthday, Omo. For Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.